VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back into another edition of the Just Press Play podcast. LJ in the booth What's with up? me as long as Pops. What's up, Pops? Hey, it's all good. What's up with you? Not much. We are uh, just coming off yet another great night of The Last Dance. Oh, I think man. episode seven and eight might have been the best so yeah. far. They were... Agreed. A hundred percent. They were really, really good. And... There, we got we got a lot in this uh, this week's episode. We got to look at Jordan's father's tragic death, Jordan's first retirement, and then some of that. Which what caused the retirement? Was it a conspiracy? Was it the way the media handled his father's death? And then we got uh, baseball MJ, and then we got Space Jam. Like oh, there was one. Oh again. yeah, we got and the Jordan Dome. The, <laughs> yeah, we got the Jordan Dome, and we got the 70, 72 and ten season, which it really felt like. It was a troll to the Warriors for some of that because they kept talking about it without the ring. If it don't got a ring, it don't mean a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into all of it. I do want to start, though. To me, there was there was two awesome moments that really stood out. And one of them was at the end of episode seven when MJ was moved to tears while talking about his drive and his competitiveness and yeah. his, the way he pushed his teammates. And I don't know, Pops, tell me what you think, especially being a fan of Jordan. I what did you think that that part right there was like touching? I mean, it did kind of get me, and I, you know, I, I think I will say that the more I watch it, I kind of thought maybe we were going to see he's an asshole or whatever. I like him as much now or more because I heard him say, "Look, this is how I was. This is what I did. This is how I won. If if you don't want to do it that way, I'm okay." And you if know, you don't know kinda, why, you haven't won anything. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he did kind of. That was his quote. His quote said, people may say he wasn't really a nice guy. He was a tyrant, but that's because you never won. <laughs> I, I wrote down that quote. I put ouch beside it because that was tough. And then like Dad said, he said, I just wanted to win, but I wanted them to win. And then it does, as he says that, it shows an awesome montage of just Pippin dancing and celebrating, Rodman jumping up, mm-hmm. Phil Jackson. I could shows all the other teammates celebrating. And he says, what did he say after that? You ask all my, or what was Let's see. This is who I am. That's how I played the game. It is my mentality. If you want to play that way, if you don't want to play that way, then don't. Yeah. And like he starts crying and just says, break. He says, break. Yeah. He says, a it break. was. Yeah. And that was, I don't know. I, obviously, I'm not a director of documentary films, but that has to be if you're Jason Hare, you know, instantly that is going to be the best ending of an episode right there. The end of episode it was. seven. It like, was you awesome. know, that he filmed that and he was like, that's episode seven right there. That's how we're walking out of here. He was thinking this is a this is a ninety minute documentary. No wait, never mind. Ten part series, and that's episode seven. That's when that moment shifted. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob's to your to your point. I think 
we both, or I, a lot of people went into this thinking, all right, there's going to be some stuff in here that's going to make us probably not like Jordan a little bit that shows he's like, maybe not a great guy. And I'm, I'm like you, the more I'm watching, I'm like, I'm enjoying him even more. I wish I could have been around to watch more Jordan. And I think, because Jordan has always been smart with all the marketing. When you look at Air Jordan, you look at everything about him. He's done great for his brand. Before the documentary came out, he came out and said, there's going to be a lot of stuff in this documentary that's going to make people hate Michael Jordan. Yeah. I don't know if that was a big marketing thing, but so everybody's tuning in to try to find what are we going to hate about him. I love everything about him. Well, I know the director said right before this episode came out too, like uh, on Wednesday or Thursday, something like that said uh, he's surprised that Jordan agreed to let this episode air, um, which feels like that must've been a marketing ploy. Like I agree with you. I do think that there is like a point where it's like, it's only okay because he's like telling millionaires to suck it up. You know, if he was like, in other situations, then he would be a complete asshole. But I think in their particular situation, that's the one place where you have where you everybody should be do or die all day long every day or else you don't deserve what you're getting paid. So, well, and I think part of it and the reason why maybe Jordan thought people wouldn't like him, it's the same reason why some people probably I, I think we're not ready not, not everyone else is ready to do what he did to, to sacrifice what he did to win. Same thing. Like I remember Kobe a while back ago after his retirement, he said something about friendships come and go, but banners last forever. Yeah. We're not like, I don't think the average person is obviously not willing to just go to the extreme limits that some of the greats will, but we still, I, I think when you watch it, it's not like you have disdain for that person. You almost admire him for being able to, to do that. And uh, there was the one thing he said, winning has a price and leadership has a price. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I pulled people along and didn't want to be pulled. I challenged people. And then he says, you ask all my teammates, the one thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked me to do something that he didn't effing do. Yeah. And I think that was true. I think he, and it, you hear like Bill Whittington talk about it. You hear what's the other guy's name, dad, Judd something. Judd, Judd something. Uh, yeah, what was his name? Uh, uh, Judd, not he, Heathcote. That was the, that's the Michigan state coach. Uh, <laughs> oh, who is it? I, it'll come pull, to me. Pull it or pull something with the P, I thought. But but they, they say multiple times, they're like, yeah, we Buechler. were afraid of Michael Judd, Jordan. Judd Buechler or something? That's I it. Think that's that, it. Yeah, that yeah. Might, I think that's it. But they're like, yeah, we were afraid of him, but look, he pushed us to win and we won. Like, I would do it again in a heartbeat. It seemed like everybody would go, yeah, he was kind of an asshole, but there was a but every yeah. time. Yep. And, and the butt was usually he made us winners. So, I mean, yeah. I think that they probably hated him at some time, but he, but there's that butt, but he pulled them along. He got them to be in his greatness and well, to be it's a, like, almost uh, as great as him. Steve Kerr is a perfect example where he talked yeah. about that fight that they had and he seemed unbelievably proud of that, that event. Like it wasn't like he was like, and that was the worst day of my life and I never wanted to play basketball again. It's like, that's what kept him going and why he's a good coach now even is kind of like the the energy that he had where it was just like in that moment I didn't back down he respected me we fought each other we would fight again you know that's just that's how that's how we played and that's how basketball is to be played and yeah I mean it's it it, I agree with Kev it's like it's hard to disrespect that grind you know that's did you love how Kerr said that too? He was like, you know, I wasn't going to back down. I, I wasn't as good as him or whatever. I couldn't back it up like him, but I still was, I was go well, all the who time. Is it that, well, uh, I think he, I think he said something like he had the same competitive drive. He just wasn't near as good. He wasn't near as good. <laughs> who was it uh, that, uh, that Jordan kept calling a hoe the entire episode? Um, oh, Scotty Burrell. Yeah, Scotty Burrell. Go 
off on Scotty Burrell. <laughs> but he but that loved quote, Burrell. That, that mean, quote that he had at the end is like Jordan wanted to push everybody to his level. Now Jordan didn't recognize that none of us could be at his level, but like we we yeah. thank him for trying. You know, it's like. <laughs> but it was funny. It's funny because Jordan says at one point, I want. I specifically when talking about Scotty Burrell. Uh, suppose I think Dad knows this too, or has heard this. And maybe you know better, but I think they were like best friends off the court. Like they were some of the best friends on the team. Yeah, for whatever but, reason, they got to be really good buddies. Yeah, but we only call your buddy. Jordan a hope, says, you know, <laughs> Jordan says at one point though he goes, "I knew Scotty Burrell was good. I knew he had a good shot. He was athletic. I thought if we get the right, he's going to come up big for us. So I wanted to push him to get there, and he." Pushed him hard. I mean, there, there's that one clip. I felt Sky Burrell seems like the nicest guy <laughs> on the planet. Like, I don't think they make a nicer human. And, like, there's a moment where MJ's, like, rolling his eyes while he's playing defense on him. And then when Scotty Burrell, like, as he's jab-stepping, and then Burrell starts to go make a move, and MJ just stuffs his crap and takes the ball. <laughs> I'm like, golly, poor Scotty. And then he looks at him like, I can't believe you'd even try that. It was so funny. <laughs> I think he even said that. <laughs> the, and then the other the other moment that really was, it was, I mean, it brought, it, it, someone started yeah. cutting some onions or something in my living room was when <laughs> they, they show him in the locker room after winning his fourth title on Father's Day, which was the first title without his dad. And I've seen the picture of him on the ground yep. crying with the ball. Never and heard that I, audio. I didn't realize, I mean, I, I knew his dad's story. I knew the story of his dad passing. I guess I didn't realize that was that picture was the first championship post his father's death, and it was on Father's Day. I thought I kind of thought it was more about you know he just won a championship he and he was so happy or- he won, yeah, and he and he got back to the top after retiring. That audio of him, I mean, he's sobbing, he's wailing, it. just that's one of wailing. my favorite that that's one of my favorite like uh, moments in the documentary too because. They lead up to that with that montage where they're playing uh, Jose Gonzalez's cover to Teardrops um, while they're playing basketball. And it feels like a weird cover to be playing uh, or a weird song to be playing over a montage of like hoops, you know, because it's just like acoustic guitar. It's almost like Simon and Garfunkel's Sound of Silence or something. And uh, and then it just builds and builds and builds into this just silence while we just hear Jordan sobbing on the floor and man, it's just like pull the rug out from under me. Like I'm, I'm on the ground with him in that moment. It's so yeah. heart wrenching. It's so good. Well, to see Michael Jordan, he's the, the hard, the tough, the mean, the goat and to see him just on the ground, just broken yeah. and crying. I mean, it was, it was, it was moving. It yeah. seemed to me too that, and you know, he really didn't have, I've heard the term thrown around like a posse, but you know, he didn't have this group or that his family, it, his dad, I think in, and to some degree, certainly his mom, maybe even his brother, but his dad, he and his dad were tight. And, and I think, I I just think that was so difficult. I think he lost his best friend in his dad. And then to, well, we'll get into a little bit. I want to kind of talk about what they, they got into his father's death and stuff. I kind of want to get into some of that stuff in the media coverage, but Speaking of that finals in particular, um, it was a great scene in the, in the episode, and it always they've been great this whole series. When he gets the iPad and he gets to watch someone's reaction, <laughs> yeah. and then he gets to react the to the glove, and it was <laughs> that. Wow, I, I do admit that was one of the funniest scenes, maybe of the entire series, where he's watching Gary Payton talk about how he was able to bother Michael Jordan and all this stuff, <laughs> and he just starts this. I mean, he's like cackling, laughing, like he's like legitimately just laughing. Then he says. I'd have had no problem with the glove. No problem at all. Sure, the glove didn't stop him, but 
if we look at the numbers, the glove did do a pretty good job on <laughs> the Jordan. The glove did a number on him in that game. He did. Well, so in the, I, I looked at some of these up. In the Eastern Conference Finals against the Orlando Magic, MJ averaged 30 points and five assists on 52% from the field and 63% from the three three-point line. Then in the first three games of the 96 Finals against the Sonics, MJ averaged 31 points, five assists on 46% from three and or from the field and 50% from three. Then in the final three games, when the glove switched on to him, he averaged 23 points, three assists on 36% from the field wow. and 11% from three. Wow. The glove didn't, I mean, he still got 23 and three, which isn't bad, but, yeah, but he 36%, had to shoot a lot more to get there. <laughs> yeah. The glove did it. Like, sure, the glove didn't stop him, but to, to just laugh him off like that, the club did do some, did make them work. Well, so but see, I think that's defensive. Oh, go ahead. Well, I think that's part of a little bit of Jordan being an ass because yeah. he will give nobody any credit. I mean, my, you know, Pippen. I, that was endearing what he said about Pippen. You know, a couple of se- sections ago, but he'll give nobody any credit. I mean, the glove yeah. did give him a little bit. Of, I mean, so he held him to twenty three. Wow, but I mean, very few people could. Um, 11% shooting from three point, 36 from the field. That's the glove was a good defender. There was yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing from that finals that I saw in this one, I, I wish we still had a team in Seattle. Oh, man. The I do too. Awesome. They were great. And I didn't, I, I never have seen this before. I thought maybe this would come, pop up on Twitter one day. But I didn't see it until they showed it. The legalized <laughs> Kemp poster that one of the fans is holding is fantastic. Did you ever right. see Sean Kemp play? Did you? I mean, other he than that. He was Blake Griffin before Blake Griffin, right? He was Michael Jordan, except, I mean, I don't know that he was that good, but he was that athletic, except a little taller. I mean, <laughs> Sean Kemp was a beast. Well, him, Gary Payton and him were kind of the, the Lob City before the, the 90s version of what the Clippers were for a little while with Lob City, right? Gary yeah. Payton's a good, really good point guard, and Sean Kemp was just unbelievably yeah. just athletic. Played above the rim completely. Yeah. Legalized camp. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some other things, you know, they got into Jordan's retirement, which are his first retirement. And I, as all people, I love a good conspiracy theory. And I was wondering if they would even touch on the conspiracy theory on this. And they did. They went into the whole thing about whether David Stern was suspending him behind the scenes for his gambling stuff. And Jordan in the documentary said, I didn't retire because someone kicked me out or they suspended me for a year and a half. That's not true. I just needed a break. My father had just passed and I retired with the notion that I wasn't going to come back. There's just no way that Stern, who was at the forefront of trying to give players the, the platform and branding and make money off the league by showcasing its players, that he would, one, suspend Michael Jordan, the face of the NBA, for a year, and two, that... He could do so, and it would never, ever leak out a little bit. Not even just like some random guy who says, well, actually, I know I was there. Like, it no does seem like it's uh, – I think we've joked about it before, and I think I've even like agreed with the conspiracy before. But it does seem silly, the idea that Stern's going to shadow ban him, right? Like it would be – it would make a lot more sense for him to say, if Jordan does need to be banned, to tell the world like we're doing this for a reason, you know, like it, because it's just devaluing his brand – um, completely. And if you're, yeah, and if you're gonna do, if you're gonna make that sacrifice of devaluing his brand, then at least show every every other player and everyone else that you have the power. Yeah. If you want, if that's what you're wanting to do, you wouldn't do it behind closed doors. I just don't think it makes sense. I think 
he retired because one, the his father's death, like Dad mentioned, I think it killed him. That yeah. was his best friend, I yeah. think, and yeah. that that probably really killed him. And two, the way the media handled it was Shit. there was a lot of speculation about. I mean, it was and it was all speculation. There was no, I mean, I. I understand. I've heard the rumors and stuff, and I, I didn't realize it was as I thought it was more like a it gets brought up on a podcast. Yeah, type I of thought thing, something not come a, up in the last like ten years is what I've thought. This idea that his gambling was the reason behind it, I didn't realize it was a thing that people even talked about. And you know, back in if I'm Jordan, that would piss me off Hell too. Yeah. That would piss me off. And I think that was his point where he was like, "All right, I'm just going to get away from all this circus and stuff and go play." Which baseball was still a circus because he's Michael Jordan, right? But but uh, he was gonna go try I did something. have another conspiracy theory that I kind of came up with watching, though, if you'd like to hear okay. it. Um, Reinsdorf mentioned that he was paying Jordan as a bull and a white sock, right? Right. And he mentioned that he was doing that because Jordan had earned so much money for everybody else. I mean, what if this was a contract negotiation tactic where it was like, Jordan, we're going to pay you two contracts for a couple years and then you'll come back and uh, instead of going, you know, to whatever rival to go into New York, you know, cause he would love to play in the garden. Um, you know, I mean, what do you think? Is that crazy or is that, well, it's not crazy. Cause I mean, as he's getting ready to retire, he does mention like, I've, I've gotten Chicago, what I wanted to get the city, you know, I've gotten this organization, what I wanted to get this organization. It's almost kind of like LeBron was willing to leave Cleveland after getting that one championship. I, Jordan almost talks as if, I could have left Chicago and felt satisfied. And it's the only that way, was the way he worked. Reinsdorf could have a team for him when he's there and also pay him above the calorie, the salary caps allowments. So I don't know. It did seem odd that he was, Jordan was able to still get his full like $30 million salary while playing no, no, no basketball it, at all. It was 3 million that, at that time. It was like, he, he didn't get make 30, he made like 33 million his very last year in the league. That was like 3 million a year that he was paying him to play baseball. Does Wait, that make so sense? So they weren't, he hadn't, he hadn't made it to the, the, that big contract by then yet? I don't think so. I think he was still, I, I thought I heard Reinsdorf say he still paid him his $3 million a year salary while he was playing baseball because he had been underpaid all those years and he made people so much money. That does sound familiar. That's what yeah, I heard him be, say. I, I don't remember when I knew Jordan got. He got like a huge $33 million yeah, wow. the last year. And that so was. So in 95, 96, he was still making $3 million. And then in the final two years, he got $30 million and $33 million. Well, wow. I think that even more so kind of proves my point is that they, they couldn't go. They couldn't pay him what he was worth. He knew it. They knew it. Um, and he still wanted a team around him. So potentially they were still paying him his salary plus, you know, his major league baseball salary um, to, to try to put this on ice for a little bit longer. Just a thought. Maybe it was a, maybe it was get your break away from the game. We'll also pay you handsomely. And when you're ready, come back. Yeah, we'll, and we'll see you we'll in a few start years. This cash cow back up. No rush, but I, you're coming back to Scotty Pippen. He'll be here. We're holding on to him. I think that's what it was because I wanted to say this too, because I think he retired and went to baseball. Cause I do think he was emotionally and physically burned out. He was yeah. just completely burned out. He needed a break. Now, I will have to say, the death of his dad, I, I did hate how that they played it on him and maybe gambling debts and whatever, like like Jordan wasn't paying his gambling debts. Right. Give me a break. <laughs> I mean, you know, but his dad's death was peculiar. I, I thought it then. I think it now. But I think it was wrong for people to put that on him. Yeah. Uh, and it was just terrible. I mean, you lose your 
dad and people are saying you're at fault, you know, because two thugs. Last I recall hearing yeah. about it, two two young thugs. I don't even think they knew who they had. I think they just, you know, rolled him and killed him and for money. Well, and I think I think what... Reinsdorf was just giving take your break, like you were kind of alluding to, LJ. Take your break from the game. We'll be here when you get back. That's yeah. that's what I thought he was doing. And to your point on uh, being emotionally, physically drained, I, I went back and looked at that that run. So the ninety ninety one season, that first championship he got, Jordan started in all ninety seven regular season and playoff games, playing average of thirty eight minutes a game. The following year, he started in one hundred and two of one hundred and four regular season and playoff games, was playing an average of forty minutes a year. Then they played the Dream Team. Then in the year before he retired, he played ninety seven of their one hundred and one regular season and playoff games, averaging 40 minutes per game. So in total, he played 296 games in a in a three-year span, if you include those Dream Team games. That's the equivalent of nearly four seasons in yeah. three. Wow. Three years. Yeah. Wow. So, and, and, he, and he did so playing like Michael Jordan, you know, playing with the drive that he goes out every night. I just think you get drained. And he even told, he was talking, I think he would have retired after winning that second championship. But because he was drained then, but he he had something to push for. That's what he said. Larry yeah. Bird and Magic never won the three. He game. wanted three, yeah. And then he told Phil. I think he told. Like he said on the documentary, I just I don't have anything I'm I'm playing for. I just need a break. And I think he was. I I think in the back of his mind, he always knew he might come back. And maybe Reinsdorf and him kind of had like a wink wink deal that he would come back. But I think he honestly was like, I might just be done because he does have that other quote with Ahmad Rashad, where he's talking saying. I'm not, like Patrick Ewing says, he's going to have to be carried off the court. That ain't me. I don't want to be carried off the court. Mm-hmm. I want to walk off the court. Yeah. So I think he. I think it, it had. I don't think it was a conspiracy theory. At least to David Stern. I like LJ's much more. I think it has at more possibility. More possibility of being true. And then he actually wasn't bad at baseball. Like I thought. Yeah. His time at the Birmingham Barons was a joke, and he went. He hit two hundred two. He hit fifty one RBIs and stole thirty bases. He had a lot of errors though. He, he had way more errors than anybody else on his team, but. He was a, a guy who hadn't played baseball in 15 years playing for double-A teams. I mean. Right. <laughs> I do remember it at the time, too. It was a big deal that he had trouble with the breaking ball, which I think probably most of us would. But, you know, when they started throwing the breaking ball, he just had trouble with it. Yeah, but it if he had why did it take 13 games? Why did it take 13 games for them to start throwing the breaking ball? <laughs> I would have thrown that game three out to try that. You like, don't want to see be, how he handles a breaking ball. You don't want to be that double-A pitcher, though, that accidentally hits uh, hits Jordan in the head. You know, you're never getting called up after that. <laughs> yeah, so true. Yeah, you're, you're throwing done. your safe pitch until he proves he can hit it. <laughs> yeah, that that one that killed me. And then, uh, so the the Space Jam stuff. He came back and played in that playoffs the year in the ninety. What was that? Ninety five playoffs. I, I think. think it was ninety four. Five. Or I was six. unclear. Did he come did, in at the beginning of that season, or did he come in about in the middle ish? He came in. He came in late. Okay. Toward with like a what fifteen or fifteen so, games, games left, left. I think. Yeah, okay. in the season. Because and I've heard. I've heard. Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo talk about this, where they know more about the league, but they say Jordan at the time looked at the league and it was diluted because they just added like three or four, six new teams. They added a few new teams. And so the talent was kind of diluted and there wasn't as many good teams. And he thought, I can come in here at the end of this year and maybe steal a ring. Yeah. And obviously he didn't. And he lost to, to the magic that year, which that magic team, <laughs> that magic was team good. was good. Yeah. I was, Shaq, Penny, Nick Anderson, Horace Grant. I yeah. mean, good God. Dennis Scott was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, they had a that was a hell of a team. It's kind of crazy they didn't win because you know who won the two years he was out, right? You do know who won. 
Your boy. My boy, Akeem Olajuwon. Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah. He, the, the guy, the only person that can ever – well, no, he's Sam Bowie can say it too, that was picked over Michael Jordan, I forgot. But who, <laughs> yeah, who was legitimately could, could say he was picked over <laughs> Michael Jordan. Yeah, that, that, that Magic team, and it almost – watching that Magic team, it's a shame because Penny Hardaway's career never – Fanned out because didn't he yeah. have injuries? I think he did. He had some injuries or something. And Penny Hardaway, Penny Hardaway was, like, was like six seven, athletic, could handle the ball, play yeah. point, could dunk, shoot. He was good. I didn't realize he was that tall. Oh yeah, he was kind of Scottie Pippen, but maybe not as defensively oriented. But he had all the offensive skills. All that lineup was just huge. It had like Penny Hardaway and then Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott were both like six seven, six eight. Yeah. I think. And then Horace Grant, six ten. Shaq, we know Shaq seven one, seven two. And he was, was new in the league. Lineup. Yeah, Shaq was young and athletic, still real <laughs> athletic. It was nuts. I will, I will. To, to they didn't mention the doc, but uh, that year when they made it to the finals and lost to Akeem Olajuwon, there's a there's a good. Uh, I think it's a thirty for thirty maybe on that Magic team. But uh, Shaq's talking about he was like. I, I was the sh- I was the shit and I was great and all this stuff and then I went to we went to go play Hakeem and Hakeem he said he ran him out of the gym <laughs> just abused him he had no he could not even touch him and that's when he realized I still got some work to do <laughs> yeah um then we got do y'all want y'all want to talk about Space Jam or y'all want to go into some of the the funny stories like the Bradford Smith story well I do want to uh uh kind of touch on what do you guys think about Scottie Pippen uh and and uh Tony Kukoc and that whole situation. Like, what do you guys have thoughts well, on? Well, so I did want to mention, yeah, I mentioned all those minutes that MJ played that 91, 92, 93 season. Since I was there, I was looking at Scottie Pippen's because his name is right beside MJ in every single one on basketball <laughs> right. reference. Scottie Pippen in that same time span started in 303 of the Bulls' possible 304 total playoff games and regular season games. So he played in more games than MJ and played pretty much the same exact minutes and he didn't take a break. I know it's a little different. He didn't go through the same hoopla that Michael Jordan did every night. But Scottie Pippen was so awesome. And we hear about we get we we do the migraine game. We talk about that a lot in this documentary. We talk about him not going back in, which you know, sure he should have went in. I think I think he, he said he would do it again, probably the same way. I think he'd probably do it differently. I do too. I don't but think he, if well, you're Pippen, I, I wanted to respond to specifically that. I actually don't think he'd do it any differently. But I think that's because like in that moment, like he learned in that moment, he had thought maybe I'm bigger than everything around me. And then everything told him, no, you're not. There are some things bigger than you. So why would you want to not learn that lesson? You know, I feel like that's a huge lesson to learn. I don't think him saying he wouldn't do it differently is saying like, eh, fuck the team. I still would have said, screw you guys. Like, I think he's saying like, this is important human stuff. That he learned the lesson. Okay. That's my thought. I, I like that thought better because I was shocked. He said he'd do the same thing again, but if but that take, I can see what you're saying, and that makes some sense. Well, and I kind of get where he's coming from because you know he's still at this point. By the we've already documented how he's underpaid. He's still underpaid at this yeah. point and wants a new contract. Tony Kukoc got brought in from Croatia and is pay, getting paid way more than Scottie Pippen is. And then Scottie Pippen, who I just rattled off, played 303 of those 304 games. He's been grinding. He's one of the top what, five players in the NBA pops? He wants to – it's his moment to kind of step out of the shadow of Michael Jordan and have his shine. And Phil Jackson obviously made the right decision. Kukoc hit the Kukoc shot. Kukoc hit but the shot they won. If I'm Scottie Pippen, I'm like, no, give me the damn ball. If Michael was here, you'd give him the ball. Yeah. And so to be great, you have to have an ego. And I think he I – don't, I don't fault him for being mad, but I, I do think 
I, I guess you're right, Eljad. The, the lesson, it's not a mistake if you learn from it. It's not, yeah. a, you know, well, it's, it's not a Yeah, I mean, I just, when I look it, back so. at my life at what I would change, I don't want to change the things that made me who I am. And the things that made me who I am are generally the things I messed up. So um, I'd keep messing them up, I think, you know? So. But that but that game winner by Kukoc was. <laughs> it was a hell of a shot. And, and that's that the other thing. It's, it's a safe call because he knows that if he did the same thing again, they still win that game. So he doesn't actually lose <laughs> anything. <laughs> But it was it was pretty neat to see to hear like how the locker room was because you knew the locker room would be torn after. Yeah. And then like to see that Bill Cartwright was the one that stood up and was like in tears. Yeah. Talking about you quit on us, man. And it just it the part of me that kind of has rubbed me the wrong way is that we are getting some we're getting shine on how great Scottie Pippen is, but we are like making a, a point. There's a chapter in each one of these episodes. It seems like uh, the black marks on Scottie Pippen's career. I, there's just so much good from Scotty Pippen. He's so awesome. And I think it just thinks that he's sitting here watching them talk about every, every moment that was tough for him, you yeah. know, the migraine game and, and the game not going in and all that. I don't know. Well, they're about to talk I just feel about for, him uh, carrying Jordan while he's dead with the flu. Right. So, <laughs> well, Tim Grover, his trainer is once again coming out and saying it was guaranteed food poisoning. He has no doubt in his mind that it was food poisoning by five teenager, by five, like 18 year olds in Utah. So, Oh, good. Pops, were you about to say something? Uh, you know, somebody that has kind of stood out to me, and you mentioned his name, one of you guys did, it's Bill Cartwright. Uh, yeah. You know, I remember not being, he was a serviceable big man. Um, that's what he was. He wasn't a standout. But I think I think he was a very mature, uh, he wasn't backing down to Jordan. And, and you know, in that instance, he came in and, and I think handled that situation well. And Pippen did apologize and and they moved on. But I think I think Bill Cartwright maybe helped hold that team together with Jordan and when Jordan wasn't there more than I realized. Yeah. And, and I'd right. say yeah. he's kind of in this documentary, he's been someone that I've learned to appreciate more Agreed. in hindsight. Well, and part of it's with this documentary and part of it's just on different stuff I've looked up. But I, I believe, and you can kind of correct me on this, Cartwright was, like you said, he wasn't like a stellar big man, a crazy touch or amazing shot, but he was a tough, big guy. He was really good, invaluable for him when they got over the piston. It was kind of the answer to the bad, but they needed they needed a big man like that that could just be a, a force down there. And then clearly, like you said, Pops, it shows he was – every locker room has to have, even if it's not a star player, it has to have that veteran, that leader that – he might only get you six points and six rebounds, but everyone knows he's one of the leaders in that locker room. And I think Bill Cartwright definitely is that guy. He can hold Scottie Pippen accountable when, you know, Tony Kukoc, I I felt for him. He's like, I don't know if I should celebrate or what, because it it had to be so awkward. He just hit a game winner, probably the biggest shot of his life. And he's like, well, it's kind of a Debbie Downer in the locker room right now. (laughs) So it took someone like Cartwright to go like, you know what, Pip, that was that was that was screwed up. You should have been in. Well, if you think, if you remember, Cartwright, I believe, was traded for Charles Oakley, who was one of Jordan's best friends on the team. That's yep. right. And, and Jordan really didn't like Cartwright at first. And, and in fact, there were some rumors I'd heard at the time, like he wouldn't pass him the ball and he'd get mad at people passing Cartwright the ball. And Cartwright wasn't. I think Jordan Jordan rules maybe one of them says that they froze out Cartwright in the finals and told like all the point guards, if you pass to him, then you're on my shit list. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah, and Cartwright still didn't back down from that. I mean, he stood up. I was I was just very proud of of Cartwright. Yeah, and, and the way yeah. it worked out. And Coo Coach did get a little bit of a raw deal, but he was a stud player. I mean, you saw that. I mean, the guy yeah. 
If he played today, I think I saw this on something I read. If he was playing now, he's perfect for today's game. Oh, he spreads that field. Spreads the court. Man, he's... He's a a lot like a... a, I mean, I think Porzingis is probably more athletic, but he's a lot like that where he's big enough but has like a little bit of a handle, can shoot, has some... Footwork? I mean, he's good. Well, put him with today's training regimens. He's going to be a little bit better anyway. I mean, yeah, he would have been great today. I think so, too. He probably spent a lot of his career where people were telling him he's big, he needs to get out of the block, where today they'd be like, abuse these guys from the outside. Take advantage of what you have. And I I, I agree with y'all. But uh, on we we learned this time and time again that, one, why do these people talk shit to Michael Jordan? (laughs) Like... And two, I mean, we'll get into his cra- his his craziness about making shit up. But like in in that Magic series where he's wearing forty five, why would one of them say forty five is not the same as twenty three? Why even who needs to start? <laughs> why do people I talk to Belichick like, or Brady? Right? Like, why does it happen? Because you got to. True. Because well, but it doesn't matter. I would say it doesn't matter because George Carl tried to just not say a damn word. <laughs> right. He just tried tried to say nothing. And and Jordan got pissed about that. So well, was, Jordan I was, was going to manufacture it. It didn't matter. <laughs> I, was, I was telling Hannah that uh, Jordan was the original coronavirus because when he was in town, you didn't want to go out to a bar in case you ran into him because he was going to find a reason to hate you for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did see someone tweet. It was pretty funny. It was like, can the coronavirus please call out Michael Jordan soon? <laughs> Saying that he'll kill it. But yeah, Dad, I don't know if y'all watched the SVP afterward, no. but George Carl came on SVP to talk about that finals and he was like, So did you or did you not kind of walk right by him without saying anything? He goes, Yeah, well, so like like the, I talked to Roy Williams. I knew Michael Jordan and I knew that no matter what I do, he's gonna find a way to try to make like if I say anything to him, he's gonna try to find a way to turn it. So I thought, and this was Roy Williams and both decided it might be your best interest to just like avoid him. And just not yeah. say anything. And then he was like, when Scott Van Pelt's like, and he still used that against you. He's like, yeah, there was nothing I was going to do. I should, I just wish I would have never seen him. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just Jordan. And so, I, yeah, I don't, Pops, I don't know if it matters if he says 45 is not 23. He would have found some reason, just like something. he did with LeBradford with Smith. Good Bradford God. Smith. <laughs> I felt bad for, for LeBradford Smith watching this because one, I'd never heard of him. And now I just know <laughs> yeah. him from this story. But for anybody who, if you didn't catch, the episodes, just in quick, LeBradford Smith scored a career high. He had the best night of his entire life, his life. against the Bulls and Michael Jordan. He scored 37 points against the Bulls, pretty much guarded by MJ, a lot of it. And at the end of the game, Michael Jordan supposedly well, heard him say, well, and, and nice game, to, Mike. To add a little context, uh, Jordan also had a terrible game, right? Like he couldn't hit. Jordan had a bad game. He couldn't game. bring a shot like, down. So He was like four for 16. Yeah. So he had a terrible yeah, game. Yeah. And supposedly... He told people in the locker room that he heard LeBradford Smith say, nice game, Mike, after the game. Which, first off, if that was said, that's not that's not that big a deal. You don't say somebody that just lets you get a career high against them and also hit what? It's Michael F. and Jordan. I'm probably going to try to say something. He gave up a career high against you and also shot like the worst that he's maybe shot in years. And you're going to walk up and be like, nice game, bud. Like, there's no way that's not sarcastic, right? Like, there can't be. Although it doesn't matter because the end of the story. So... So going further, the Bulls happen to be, unfortunately for Mr. LeBradford, they happen to be playing the Bullets again the following night just in Washington and or in D.C. And on the very next night, Jordan said due to that comment, he was going to score what LeBradford Smith did, 37, 
in the first half. <laughs> and he didn't get there. He only scored 36 guy. in the first half. <laughs> abusing Le- like making it a point to just abuse him. He ended up finishing with 47 points on like well, I think it was 16 for 24 shooting. So amazing shooting. <laughs> and then it comes out. He never even Le- Bradford Smith never said it. Never even said good job, buddy. <laughs> Michael Jordan made it up. He manufactured the whole thing just to give him a reason to go out against uh, DC and dominate the Bullets, which he did. He's insane. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Did you know that story, Pops? No, I had not heard that story before. I did. I had heard about the, the BJ thing. BJ Armstrong. <laughs> yeah. BJ, yeah. you know. And, and here's the thing. BJ, BJ Armstrong was always a good kid. I mean, he's still got that baby face. I guess he's probably he older than me or my age. Like but he, his face still looks like he has an age got a baby all. face. But you always like BJ Armstrong. He was just kind of quiet, unassuming, smiling, a yeah. good, good guy. And then he has a really good night. Now, he did kind of scream, but hell, I would too. I would have been excited had oh, I yeah. hit that shot. And then George's like, so I was supposed to dominate him. And so, well, that's what I did the rest of the series. <laughs> and, and he did. And he did. And I did. But I love that whole scene because BJ even talking about it, he's like, we're playing the Bulls who, I mean, let's just be honest, were much more talented than we were. But if we know anything about Michael Jordan, so BJ Armstrong, dad, correct me if I'm wrong, he was, our, he was a teammate to the Bulls before that, yeah. right? For a few years. Oh, yeah, he was yeah. on the Bulls. Mm-hmm. So if – if there's anything we've gotten from these documentaries, Michael Jordan would talk some serious shit in practice. So I'm sure BJ was on the opposite end of that very often. So finally, on national TV, in the playoffs, he's outdoing MJ. You best believe I'm going to at least be pumped up. I'm going to be riled up. I'm probably going to yell a little bit. I might not I know, would yell too. right at Michael Jordan, but I'm going to be pumped because I just got the best of MJ, the GOAT, yeah. in the playoffs. I mean – and then yeah, MJ just dominates. Well, the, and that's the where rest of the, so that that just takes me back to where you were talking about uh, whoever it was that said forty five isn't twenty three or whatever. And while Horace Grant's telling the story, you could just see like, and then he said that forty five yeah. is not twenty three. <laughs> like you could just sense his well, disappointment in that moment. He knew what was going to happen. <laughs> I think Horace Grant says right after that he goes, "You think about MJ is that's like." Pouring, pouring gasoline into the engine and, and MJ's engine don't need any more gasoline. It's got plenty of gasoline. Um, that that whole thing, it just cracks me up. To, to one, the little things that Michael Jordan manufactures just to get it. He needs something. Mm-hmm. To, we talked about it last week. But it, just, it just keeps going further about how he just is going to find something to give him that edge. And he does. Uh, let's get into... The Space Jam stuff. So that we were, I was it almost, I don't know if you thought this LJ, I thought for a minute, because they, they briefly mentioned it, then it almost seemed like they weren't. I thought they were going to skip it. I was going to be so mad. And I was like, especially after me and LJ to both said we wanted to see this part. And then they were just like skim over it. But then they do go yeah. back to it. And they show that Warner Brothers built, I, I've heard the rumors, but they legit built him <laughs> a huge dome with weight yeah, room and with state a court of the art. And every, that was insane. Uh. Only MJ gets that probably. <laughs> no, at yeah. least in at least in that time period. Like now, LeBron probably could, but in that time period, that was unfathomable. But MJ's like, no, I need I need this. And it was funny hearing the director was like, yeah, that's no problem. Yeah, yeah, we'll get it built. That's fine. Well, yeah, that director looked like the kind of guy that's you know he's he's happy to be working with an MJ. He's not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's not making it on his own merits as a a ladies man. So he, he having MJ's no. around is going to be pretty nice. <laughs> He might have been a great director, but ladies' man, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And how awesome. We talked about the Dream Team tapes and those practices. 
How awesome would those pickup games do? Oh my god! To see some of those shirts and skins, NBA All Stars. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> legends. I mean, it was some legends out there playing, and 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 then for MJ to later say, I don't know if he said it or someone else said it about him, but the reason he invited all of them is because one to get some run, but he also wanted to scout them. Yeah, yeah, right. Of he was course, watching what Reggie Miller does at, at, in the fourth quarter, down by three or whatever. Like, I love that. That's amazing. Uh, of course, there's an edge to it. There's always something. Um, I just thought those were so cool, and I, I, and I think now you see a lot of the guys live in LA and play in LA, and I don't know because we get we get some of the key. It's it's awesome now. We'll get little clips of they'll go to like a I don't know what it is like a some kind of gym. There's a big gym that around there, and you'll see Carmelo and D Wade and some of them playing pickup games, and it's just fun to see. I just cannot imagine how awesome it would be to be in those pickup games, and then two. As I think Reggie Miller pointed out, the fact that MJ's shooting for like eight or nine hours and then going to lift weights in between that, and during his lunch or shooting, he lifts weights. And then after he gets done shooting, he goes and plays pickup games. And these aren't just like messing around. Like we mentioned, these are like some yeah. badass pickup games. He's going to go play for three hours afterward. The dude just has no, I mean, he does an, an un, unnormal drive. Like you just, they don't make them like Michael Jordan. They really don't. motor don't need no gas. Indefatigable. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there, was there any other spots on the episode, the last episodes that, that stood out to you that y'all wanted to get into? You know, I was, I really liked the Steve, or I, I was telling uh, Tammy, I said, see, you do know who that is, right? And she knows who Curry is. I said, you know, who's the leading, uh, three point shooter by percentage in the NBA? She goes, would it be Steve Kerr? You know, and she, <laughs> but she likes Kerr and that's just, it was so cool seeing him back when he was young and, you know, he was a, he was a solid ball player. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was it was crazy seeing some of the highlights of him, you know, sprinting around. Because I just know I know he was the shooter, but I just know him more as a coach and analyst. That's what he's been in my lifetime. Yeah, and to see the the little wiry Steve Kerr running around, coming off a screen, hitting a three and stuff, it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was cool. Um, I also saw that uh, Tony uh, Tony Kukoc uh, in Croatia won uh, like the under thirteens golf tournaments like three times in his nation or something like. He was like a hell of a child golfer and uh, that basketball was his third sport after soccer. Um, and then he was also wow. a, a world champion table tennis player. So could you imagine <laughs> Tony Kukoc and Michael Jordan playing golf and then Tony Kukoc wins and they're like, I'll challenge you to table tennis. And then Tony Kukoc <laughs> well, wins. And Tony Kukoc interestingly, wins. <laughs> interestingly, you bring that up. I believe there's a rumor out there. I think it was Kukoc, but someone they were playing, they were playing uh, table tennis in the locker room. And Kukoc beats him. <laughs> and so Jordan goes and buys a ta- like a table tennis setup for at, t- for home, practices nonstop, comes back and beats the shit out of Tony Kukoc. <laughs> That's amazing. Because he can't help it. Whether it's table tennis, golf, basketball. He or pitching quarters. It. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Too bad it's not It just fielding. doesn't matter to injury. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Tony Kukoc, they mentioned Jerry Krause, which that picture or that little image of when they introduced Tony Kukoc and you have Kukoc standing next to Jerry Krause. <laughs> that was kind of humorous because as we've mentioned, Krause is a, a, a shorter a very, human being and Kukoc is a very tall It's the extremes of the physical physique um, in that <laughs> moment. Also, one of, my sure. favorite, like, one of my favorite moments was in the top of episode seven when they ask uh, Krause a question and everyone's like, way to go, Craig. <laughs> yeah, shout out, that was Craig Sager, by the way. Rest in peace to Craig Sager. I honestly, I thought it was a good question. Well, it's the question everyone knew was going to get asked, save it for the end, you know? 
Crosses crosses like there's no backstabbing being done here. Great <laughs> way to like, go, Craig. I, I can't believe you would ask that. Yeah, the way to go, Craig. The fact that they left that in was so funny. Um, and then they mentioned Kraus mentions in that uh, Ku coach thing. He saw, talks about the number seven. He's like basically, I don't think he says it's the twenty three of Europe, but he basically is saying it's the twenty three. Everybody wants to be like twenty seven. Yeah. Do you yeah. know the most prominent young player from Europe right now? Luka Doncic wore number seven in Europe and now wears 77. I don't know if it's for sure tied to Luke, to Tony Kukoc, but I wouldn't be surprised it if is. it is. I bet it is. Hmm. He was a hell of a baller. Um, so. I do, though, have one gripe with the documentary. Okay, I'm excited. And it has, not, it has nothing to do with Jason Hare, the director. It has more to do with probably the people, some somebody with ESPN and some of the marketing, because they do the trivia Oh, at, yeah. during the commercials. And the trivia is fun. Why the hell do they answer the trivia so damn yeah, fast? The second yeah, the question disappears, the answer's there. I've like I got done reading the question, and they like one of them was like other players that have scored forty points in the finals, and I was like, okay, one's probably Jerry West, but who? And then the answer pops yeah. up. I'm like, damn, I wanted to try to answer. Yeah. Got at least do a commercial or something. Yes, yeah, yes. they should do the trivia right after the like as they go to commercial break. Be like. Trivia sponsored to you by, and then do the trivia. Show me that and then damn right Allstate ad with uh, Kenny Mayne, and then give me the answer. <laughs> State Farm's going to be pissed State that you couldn't even get the right true. insurance. Thank God they're not a sponsor <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> by the way, since then, you brought that up, did you see the answer was Elgin Baylor, which I could see that, and Rick Barry. That shocked me that Rick Barry yeah. averaged more than 40 points in a playoff series. I did not really. Well, and it would have been fun for me to get to try to guess <laughs> that trivia instead of it just answering it right there. I know. That's yeah. a good grape. They should take a note because, like, if you if you ever remember, when CBS does college football SEC games, they usually do the All-State trivia, but they do it before a break, and then they come back, and Vern is there to answer your question, yeah. answer the trivia question. So you have time, like, while you're watching it in your room with your buddies, you're like, oh, no, hell no, that was Rick Barry. No, it was Jerry West. No, and yeah. you can argue about it, not just answer it right away. So that's my only only gripe, gripe. with the episode. Gripe. Fair gripe. Yep, I agree. Although I do also, speaking of the trivia, I'm pretty sure we mentioned how MJ didn't realize it, but he was trolling the uh, 2017 Golden he Warriors. He realized Golden it. Give, wait a second. He knew what he was saying. But yeah, but he said that in 90s. At the time, they were saying that they were wearing hats. Oh, that ain't no sure. thing without the ring. Sure, sure, sure. True. So he didn't realize it before, but he was trolling. The <laughs> and so you knew in this documentary, he was going to bring that up over oh, yeah, and over. Yeah. And over. Uh, doesn't matter if you don't win a ring. <laughs> and then, so right after they're talking, they do that whole thing. They go to commercial break and we're <laughs> going to get a, a, a stupid trivia and they're going to answer. Well, you know what the question <laughs> was? Do you know what team also won 70 games in the NBA regular season? And it was the Golden State Warriors. So it was like, just in case you didn't know, although every viewer's like, oh, they're talking about the Warriors who did get beat their record but didn't win a ring, so it doesn't really matter. And then they're like, by the way, the Warriors did it, but they didn't win a ring. <laughs> just to rub Good it stuff. in just a Good little while. I thought that was hilarious. And then I did love the, the scenes and the pictures of Michael Jordan playing Space Jam against the out-of-shape guys in, <laughs> in green, green suits. suits. Yeah. A whole hilarious. bunch of LJs up there in a green onesie. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody looks great in a green onesie, but then you got Michael Jordan. Like, right. The uh, peak hilarious. of human physique, yeah. <laughs> a green onesie. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um... I want to. Are y'all done? Y'all have anything else? Last dance, or y'all want to move on? Because I have something I want. One last thing on last dance, and and I got to give. Uh, you know, I, I I'm somewhat of a fan of Bill Simmons, but he mentioned this, and so I'm going to revisit the Isaiah Thomas thing. It didn't occur to me that Chuck Daly, Isaiah Thomas's coach with the Pistons, was the coach of the Dream Team. Wow! And even Same. he 
even he didn't fight to get Isaiah Thomas on the or dream couldn't, team. Or couldn't win the fight. I don't know. Well, you would so think you, actually, that's you weird think. to me, though. Yeah. There's actually something, Dad, that I, I, I want to read now, and I bet you're going to want to read. Uh, it's the it's something. What's it called? It's, I think it's just Dream Team. How Michael? It's a book by Jack McCollum about the Dream Team. It's how Michael, Mer- Magic, Larry, and Charles created the greatest team of all time, basically. And he writes about it. And they touch. I actually heard a podcast with him where he was talking about that specific thing. Mm. And he said Chuck Daly. I believe this is right. He said Chuck Daly specifically was like, I need Chuck. Char- he wanted Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. That's what he ne- he needed that for defensive purposes and and for the team or no I think it was Matt no not not Chuck it was Magic Jordan and well there was talk Scott. that he might have wanted Dumars he might have wanted Joe Joe Dumars and there was Dumars and and in this book and he talks about it in the podcast he talks about out of Pistons the one he really wanted was Dumars for perimeter defense perimeter defense on that on the guard on, that team. on the shooting guard yeah so it is interesting to me that Chuck Daly like you said the the coach of Isaiah Thomas didn't just push i mean but what's more important maybe if it, maybe he already knew yeah it's either mj or isaiah thomas well it's maybe MJ. He's just like i'm taking mj well and i think <laughs> as i recall yeah and as i recall they were they all beloved chuck, they really loved chuck daly and lo- loved playing for him the dream team guys i think they really liked daly even though they hated the pistons another, you know another fun another cool thing coming from that jack mccollum the author he talks about uh that Charles Barkley almost didn't get put on that team. Wow! Because because David Stern was worried about how Charles Barkley would re, would would carry himself and carry the NBA shield, if you will, kind of how the NFL says, but how he'll carry the how he'll put up the NBA because Charles Barkley is a bit of a loose cannon. You know, he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> speak his mind. Yeah, that's true. And so I think he was a little worried. And Chuck Day was like, "We need we need Charles." And Charles was. I, from from Jack McCollum's account, he says Charles Barkley was the MVP of that team. He was the, the he maybe because he played harder. Like Michael Jordan knew he could take time off, but he says Charles Barkley was the MVP of the team, and he almost didn't make the roster. Wow! I don't know if we talked about this, but I got so tickled and, at Barkley saying, "Uh, you know, after they'd won that game in Chicago when they were playing Phoenix in the in the finals." And he Charles, goes, Charles, do you have one thing you'd like to say to the city of says, Chicago? Take that shit off the windows. <laughs> you don't need it tonight. Don't need it tonight. <laughs> and he doesn't smirk. He is so yeah. serious. I love him. He could be Barkley. more honest, yeah. <laughs> Take that, that shit, shit off, off the windows. windows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think we mentioned that last episode, so I'm glad we got a call back to it because that was hilarious. That was good stuff. <laughs> um, all right, moving on. And I kind of thought about it while watching some of this because I th- I thought the reason Michael Jordan didn't wear 23 when he first came back is because the Bulls retired. Yeah. But apparently it was Michael Jordan saying 23 was old and he was 45. He was a new Michael Jordan and all this stuff. But I was just, and it got me thinking about retired jerseys. And I tell me if you disagree. I think the, the practice of retiring jerseys is stupid and should be done away with. I mean, I, I'm on the side of I've never really given a lot of thought to it, but I kind of like the idea. G- give me your argument. Well, so like in football this year, Tua Tungvaluwa is going to wear number one for the Dolphins okay. because 13 is retired, obviously, for the legend, the, the best Dolphin ever, I'm guessing you would say, Pops, Dan Marino. Yeah. Which I get why you probably retire his jersey, but I just don't understand. I think it makes more sense to not retire. I, it almost pays more respect 
it lets that memory live. It's not like we're going to forget Dan Marino because we see Tua Tagovailoa wearing 13. If anything, it's going to help me. Re- it's going to bring up more stories about Dan Marino. Like, think about the Cowboys, for example. 88. Uh, CeeDee Lamb's, CD Lamb's going to wear 88. When CeeDee Lamb wears 88, it, it's going to bring back montages of Michael Irvin, Des Bryant, Drew and Pearson. Drew Pearson. Yeah. I w- Honestly, I don't know for sure. I probably just because Dad really liked Drew Pearson. I don't know. A lot of kids would even know who Drew Pearson is, except for the fact that they're like, oh, 88, Drew Pearson's the legend of 88. Okay, he's the great cowboy. Yeah. Whereas if you retired it, I don't know if people would know who Drew Pearson That's is. That's a good point. I think it brings, That's a good point. I like I just think I don't mm-hmm. I don't think it diminish like it's it's all put their put their the ring the of ring honor of honor or, the Cowboys do is the deal. I think that's what you should the do. The other thing though, I, I, I guess agree. to think about is you want to make sure that a, a player earns it, right? You don't want to have um you know like the the Broncos don't want a number seven quarterback in that till that quarterback is like going to be a John Elway. You know what I mean? I don't know. Something to me kind of it, it's intriguing to me to see like if Tua is ready to to live if someone goes to the Bulls and says I'm about to be the next Michael Jordan. If you got the balls to throw on that 23, I think it's fun. I think it's cool to see will you live up to it. Now, be ready because I don't. That's a lot to live up to. Same with Tua if he wore 13 for yeah. the Dolphins or someone wearing seven for the Broncos. And if they and if they fail out, flame out, it's not like we're going to go. Oh well, John Elway's not as good because someone else I mean, flamed out wearing that same number. You're right. You know? You're 100 right. I can't argue with you. That's that is true. You are spouting facts right now, and the world needs to hear. It. And speaking speaking of Miami, just to. The, the the stupidest retired jersey of all time is the Miami Heat have retired, I believe, Michael. they retired Michael Jordan's number, which he never played for the Miami <laughs> Heat, so that's stupid. And I think they've retired Dan Marino's number as well. <laughs> so, because the Heat at the time didn't have anybody yeah, that's, to retire That's a team jersey. that never had anybody for a long league, time. <laughs> I just think, put their number in the rafters. Like, yeah. the Celtics and Lakers have retired so many jerseys. There's like, I think, 24 jerseys you can't wear, numbers you can't wear if you're a Celtic. So, that... That takes away a lot of cool numbers that are kind of basketball folk folklore. Yeah. yeah. I'd just say we do away with them. So you got a good that's, point. That's my that's my B for the day. You got a good point. I you're right. You're right. I'm I changed my mind. You're right. Uh, I think I'm with you, Kev. Yeah. All right. So we are gonna push it back just a week because we're not quite finished watching, but we're gonna just if you if you haven't finished Waco, the series that's on Netflix, the little doc the docuseries, miniseries kind of on it on the the David Koresh and all that stuff. It's really good. It's a really good series. And we're going to finish it this week and then have the recap next week on that. But I did want to bring up just something that I I watched something this weekend and it's got me thinking, I think I now know who is the most talented person on planet Earth. Whoa. I don't think it's someone you would think. Is it me? Well, dude, dude, yeah. Yeah, is it one of us? (laughs) Breaking news, it's no one on this podcast. Okay, (laughs) Um, I'm out then. I don't care. It is... Jamie Foxx. Yeah. I think Jamie, Jamie Foxx is seriously talented. I'm only yes. slightly more talented I was watching than his Jamie old stand-up. So. <laughs> he has the I Might Need Security uh, stand-up skit where it's hilarious. And he he's, not only is he funny, then he does a skit where he plays the piano for like 11 minutes and sings and, and does like, it's like stand-up but in the, on the piano. And then he's put out some great music, some great R&B hits, and he's put out some really good movies. And I watched an interview today of him talking about the biopic that he's going to do on Michael Mike Tyson. And it's him just doing impersonations. And he starts with Mike Tyson, sounds exactly like him. And then he does impersonations. Like when he tells stories, he does like an Eddie Murphy, a Dave Chappelle. And all. it's just, he's good at everything. Well, and the other he's thing is so like, uh, an impersonation is not acting, but the dude can act. And also acting yeah, is yeah, not being a good comedian, back. but the dude's a good comedian. 
And being all <laughs> these things doesn't mean that you're going to be a talented musician that can write music better than me who've been trying to write music since I was 12. But he can. <laughs> he's just, be- he's just he- good. And everything he he's tries. He's just good. He's just good. Like I was just, I, I, so I saw that thing and I was like, damn, Jamie Foxx is funny. So I like just YouTube Jamie Foxx and I, I got some interviews and stuff. And I was just like, dude, what, what is he, what is he bad at? I don't understand what he's bad at yet. And from all accounts, on all the interviews I've seen, which of course you never know, but he, he seems like a genuinely cool dude. Like he seemed like a positive, cool. Seems very likable. So yeah. Probably didn't likeable. trim his toenails or something, right? Like something's gotta be right. <laughs> well, I, yeah, stinky, stinky feet. Feet. He's got chronic halitosis or something. <laughs> Something's got to be wrong. <laughs> All right, I wanted to touch back because we didn't mention it before, but the LeBradford Smith story sure. yeah. about how Jordan just abused him after he's had his career night Yeah, on that poor man. Didn't actually say good game, Mike, <laughs> but whatever. After the game, Will Purdue was I, – I, Will Purdue, I believe, played for the Bulls at the time, but later played with LeBradford this Smith. This is – wait, after and which he tells, game? Wait, after the, the – uh, after his career high okay. game, after he scored a okay. lot, and he Will Purdue tells the story of that he was trying that that LeBradford Smith really wanted the media to to downplay it and didn't want them to talk a lot about it because he knew if they if they talk a lot about it, he knows Michael Jordan, he's heard about him, and so if Michael Jordan turns on the TV and all you hear is the media talking about how awesome LeBradford Smith is, they play the Bulls the following night, it's not going to be good for him, and so he's trying to downplay it. And the media keeps going, it's a career night. You did it on Michael Jordan. We got to talk about it. And Will Purdue says, LeBradford was trying to tell the reporters at postgame to not make a big deal about it. Uh, he said, And he said multiple times, oh, heck, I just got lucky. The shots were just going in. I don't know what happened. It was a great night. He was trying his damnedest to downplay it. And Michael Jordan didn't hear any of that. He heard the fake good game. Nice game, and decided Mike. to abuse him. And now LeBradford's only known for Good uh, Lord. And I've never, I don't know any other LeBradford Smith, so I'll probably always remember him just as the guy that uh, got abused yep. by Michael Jordan. <laughs> just um, for existing at the wrong time. <laughs> all right. I think that will wrap up this week's episode of the JPP podcast. As always, you can find us over on Twitter or Facebook or on our, on our website at jpppod.com. Um, th- before. Well, this is sad. I just want to mention this. The episode's over. Peace. That'll do it. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Can I leave that in? I was bringing something. Yeah, sure, sure. I was just going to, this is, I was going to bring up to you guys just because the, the quote from the NFL was funny and it made me think of Pops. But I don't know if you noticed the NFL schedule set up just perfectly to where the Patriots and Buccaneers do not play at the same I time. They that. have no conflicting yeah. games until twenty until the week fifteen. Which has like I don't think ever happened with those two teams ever in the history of scheduling. So if you're but it, so if you're a big Tom Brady fan or a Patriots fan or just anybody who just wants to follow obviously your team and follow Tom Brady, you can and do Rock. so without missing any yeah. of your team's games. Yeah. And that would be pretty cool if the if the NFL did that on purpose. But according to NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy, here's what he said, and this made me think of pops. Putting together the 256-game schedule is very complex. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. The minimal conflicts here are coincidental. And all I could think of was it's, a, it's an enigma wrapped in a conundrum. And that does seem too much to be a coincidence, but... I, he has a point. It'd be hard for them. Yeah, to, that's tough to, to plan. Make a 256 game schedule. Guys, I don't think but, there's going to be football in 2020. I really don't. I'm getting nervous about it too. I'm pretty sure there's not. I I can't imagine unless well, there's a vaccine. See, I can't see how they're going to do it at all. Did you see what Dr. Fauci just recently? That's said? what got me thinking about it more. Is that he said football is the perfect breeding ground, and it is. 
Because there's no way you can have less than 50 people playing an NFL football game because there's almost 50 people on one sideline, um, just players alone, not including coaches or linesmen or referees or the other team or cameramen or anybody like trainers, athletic trainers. Good. I mean, he, he called it, he called it the quote, perfect setup for spreading the virus. And he was talking about, he's like, it's a respiratory respiratory virus. So it can be spread by shutting the virus. And he said, the problem with that is if you have it in in, any of it in your nasal pharynx, I said, whatever, however he said, smart word. (laughs) But if you, if you, if you have anything like that and your nose starts running, which often happens when you're running around and stuff, your nose can start running and you wipe it at all. Now that's on your hand. And he's and his point was, he would think that if there's an infected player in the field, now that middle linebacker's got it. Now the lineman's got it. The left tackle it'll got spread it. in seconds, not in minutes. Got it, the receiver's yeah. got it. And then, like you said, now that person goes to the sideline where everyone's using towels. What if they accidentally use the same towel? What if they drink from the same water? I mean, it's just it's. Are like, we going to have a hundred and four, uh, hundred and six shower set up for a hundred and six different people, or are we going to make them go one at a time over the course well, of six so hours? Well, so he said he was saying the only possible solution would be testing every single player multiple times in the week and before the game starts and basically saying, if you test positive, you're out. You cannot. And then we're also telling a bunch of young fathers too, that they're not allowed to be with their family um, or they're risking millions of dollars. Right? Like I think the players union fight this to it to, and then to his point about the testing, he was like, the problem with even the testing thing is if I just say, if I just contracted it today, and then I go get tested like that, that morning. Say I contracted that morning or that weekend. I go to get tested Sunday at 11.30 before our noon kickoff. I might not test positive for it, but it's still in yeah. me and I can spread it. So it, it, there's he, his point was, I don't know. There's not a good answer. There's a lot of reasons why we maybe shouldn't. But he said the numbers will when, make the decision. And another us, thing is, is that said, it's but. like a lot of people I've seen say things like, well, these are, you know, people in their 20s and 30s that are the most fit of anybody in the world. Like they'll be fine. And even if that is true, which we don't like a lot of people, especially in we've the, seen people, especially die. in the black community. I mean, black people seem to be hit harder by this, which is a lot of the NFL's player base. But even if we just ignore that and say, yeah, they're healthy, they're not going to get sick. Um, I mean, what about the coaches? What about the trainers? What about like almost everyone not on the field is they work their way up to that position and they're either 25 and an intern or 65, you know, the, and there's not much in between. So and then you have the whole thing about testing. Yeah. And there's in the state of Arkansas right now, there we're finally, I think we're improving a lot now, but they're just trying to reach 60,000 tests in the month of May. That's their big goal. And they recently, they went from 1000 a day to 1500 a day. Now we're getting closer to 2000 to test every NFL player. Let's, I mean, quick math, what's 32 times 50 and you're going to test them multiple times yeah. a week. That's a lot of tests you're possibly taking away from yeah. the general public Americans. And and the, the other thing is Illinois has got a five point plan right now, right? Where, uh, to get to reopening, we need to either have to uh, to get from the stage of no gathering of 50 or more to everything's fine. You need to either have by Chicago's or Illinois standards, a vaccine or herd immunity, which is not going to happen probably for a couple of years, which would mean that there can't be NFL games, even with no crowd in Illinois until that happens. So the Bears will have to play yeah. in Indiana. Will they be the Gary Bears? You know, like. Yeah, I'm not sure there won't be football, but I am. I'm the with you. the only glimmer of hope I would say in that is that Roger Goodell and 32 NFL owners have a lot of money on the line, and they got a lot of money. They they better start throwing some of yeah. it at this because I, yeah. I mean I don't know if money will solve it, but but they need to put the best minds on it because yeah. 
No NFL football will cost a lot of people oh, a lot. And and basketball is also a great breeding ground. I mean, we're going to be big baseball fans next year if nothing changes. Because um, that's what we'll have. Well, and and I do think, like the NFL said multiple times, like, oh, we're starting schedule on time. And it almost makes it sound like they're not really worried about the coronavirus and they're going to start. But I do think behind closed doors, there are really smart people really working this out. Because if you actually look at the schedule, they've talked about how there's they didn't say they're they're trying to postpone anything. But their sources in the NFL says they've already made decisions where they could move the Super Bowl back four weeks, which would allow them to push back the regular season four weeks. So they wouldn't – they're making plans that we possibly wouldn't have a full season. So I don't think they're being naive like it sometimes sounds. Yeah, no, I, I agree and with of course you. I, NBA's just, trying I don't to. think it's going to happen, you know? Did any of y'all watch the – didn't UFC have fights this last weekend? Yeah, they had no, to cancel no one audience. of the fights because one of the fighters ended up testing positive even though he was at weigh-ins with everybody and then quarantined since then. So I would argue that that weighs pretty poorly on the idea of mm-hmm. it making sense for anything over one-on-one fights, you know? Um, but apparently other than that, it was really successful. I didn't watch any of the fights, but I've heard that they went really well and – had great viewers. So I can tell you that I, and I think I've mentioned this. I, I watched some of Saturday night live this Saturday. I've watched some of Jimmy. It sucks without an audience. It's just, yeah. maybe we will get used to this in time. If we, if we are forced on us, but I just can't imagine games without fans. I just, yeah, uh, it'd be weird. It'd be weird. Um, mm. I, it, I don't know. It almost makes you wonder what if we would have as a country tackled this the way I don't think it ever would have happened because some of the things they did in the other countries, like you hear about South Korea is one of the big ones, but they, they were able to completely like lock down the society and tell them you will not leave your house. And they, I think they were tracking everybody <laughs> yeah. like, with trackers. But we'd say so, like, F you, <laughs> you can't tell me right, what to that's do. My right. That's goddamn American. <laughs> I want a damn haircut. Yeah. So it would never happen in America, but it, it makes you wonder if we would have, maybe this would have been, Maybe we one hard month. Uh, sure makes of, me wonder if we were ripe for a plague, though. You know, we're it's like we were asking for it this whole time, but I don't know. I don't know. Let's. There's got to be some. What's what's a what, how? Yeah, we can we be positive? I don't even know if I'm putting this in the episode, and hey, we got to find a way to end it just from conversational aspect. Because I'm going to leave you guys on this note. <laughs> I was about to leave with the tease for Waco, but the tease would be something about. Do you remember when everyone was locked inside for 51 days and then eventually they were forced out by the government and everyone died? (laughs) Wow. Uh, We get episode nine and 10 of the last dance. Yeah, that's that's, that's that's over. We get that like everything. (laughs) (laughs) And then who knows? We might start rewatching like. Super Bowl. Can I say recap? This isn't necessarily. Maybe this is on the podcast. Maybe this isn't. But Kevin found a really cool interview with LL Cool J this morning, and uh, I really think we as a podcast should get deep into LL Cool J and also maybe his beef with the Beastie Boys because that's interesting to me. So (laughs) yes, um, I I I messaged LJ this morning. I saw the video. I was like, "What is the beef that's at? What's going on? Why is he upset with the Beastie Boys? I didn't realize the Beastie Boys had a thing with police and stuff." Well, the Beastie Boys were like ridiculous on their first like headlining tour. They like decided that the entire world needs to just like uh be their their porn that they were living in you know like they like were whatever like it didn't matter and also all of their fans were teenagers so it wasn't like they were like playing a whole bunch they they were hiring strippers and had big inflatable penises and it was like a justin bieber concert if you looked at the audience so it's like uh and then so ll cool j rolls into town and everyone's like wait a second hip-hop's that thing that brought all those strippers and penises right 
And uh, so you're arrested. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's pretty, pretty uh, wild story. I'm going to try to do a little deep dive. And if I can find anything, I'll definitely send you away and you do the same. Cause I, I'm now I'm fascinated by LL Cool J because I really don't know much about so him. Eloquent. He was like 20 so years old, dude. He was like, oh my God, when I was 20 years old, I was an idiot. And he sounded like a, I don't know. He was like Jamie Foxx. <laughs> I'm 26 and some would argue I still am an idiot. So. <laughs> All, All right, right guys, y'all be safe. Yep. We will be back next week with another episode of the JPP, just in case this is put in <laughs> for my last stumble from earlier. So, <laughs> Guys, peace out. Peace. Peace.